Let's pray again together. Uh, Father, thank You for uh, Your mercies to us. Thank You for Kevin's uh, testimony and that You came to seek and to save that which is lost. We ask for help this morning to uh, hear from you, and uh, that you'd deliver us from the words of man and grant us uh, of your truth. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay. First John, chapter four. Familiar passage, I think, to most of you. Um, we'll begin at verse 7 and read down to verse 12. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested among us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. be um, worthwhile, and, and don't get self-conscious and giggly about this, but just, I mean, look around, look around the room, you know, see faces, name people, you know, as best you can, you know, everybody's kind of like, <laughs> but the, the exhorta- exhortation of the apostle is, beloved, love one another, I mean, I mean, real people, not, not just abstract ideas, but like faces, names, flesh and blood, people that, um, uh, I mean, it's easy to love mankind, right? This, this big abstraction. Uh, the challenge is, is you know, the, the real uh, living, breathing people in our space, that uh, that's what the call is to. Now, I, it's kind of a, a I guess a, somewhat of a disclaimer um, that, uh, the passage in Hebrews 11 where it talks about, you know, that, um, you know, they, they died in faith, you know, seeing the promises and um, uh, without receiving the, they died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them from a distance. Um, and, um, you know, the more you, I ponder these things, I mean, I, I'm not speaking as one who's arrived anywhere in relation to this, but it's like, the more you think about it, I mean, you see this, the, the love of God from a distance, the love of God we're called to, 
And, and the more you think about it, the more distant it feels in terms of really manifesting God's love for people. And yet, the more you're, you're drawn towards it and hunger for it and want to enter into it. And, and so, um, I'm this, I'm, you know, I'm sitting with you in terms of uh, I need this. Um, We'll focus more on on verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I've pondered this passage for a a long time. It's somewhat somewhat perplexing in in ways. Um, Beloved is how how John starts here, and he's speaking to believers. I mean, he's speaking to Christians. and this is, um, let us love one another. We have an, this is an exhortation. And, and that's an important thing to keep in mind. I mean, we're be, being exhorted to something. It's addressed to the will. It's a course of action to be embraced uh, and continued in and to increase uh, in the... Uh, um, because it's an exhortation, it tells us that it's not something that's automatic. You know, you don't need to exhort your heart to beat. You don't need to exhort your stomach to digest. You don't need to exhort that chair to stay put. I mean, it's the nature that it... Um, but there is this, this uh, need that we have to be exhorted to love one another. Um, it's, um, we also need to be exhorted, um, and maybe a little closer analogy to this is, um, you know, when we say, you know, watch what you're doing. Or you might say, every, you know, maybe every three or four weeks to your children, listen up. You know, it's like... Now, we have, you know, we have, we can open our eyes and see, but we don't necessarily see. You know, sound waves resonate on our eardrums, but we don't necessarily hear. I mean, we have the potential to see, the potential to hear in those senses, but what we perceive is a lot that goes on internally and you know, choosing to see and wanting to see and longing to see and to hear, that that's we need to be exhorted to see. I mean, to really see and to hear and to really hear what people are saying. That exhortation comes through, even though we have the physical capacity generally to do it. And um, um, I think that's that's kind of along this line that uh, starts to point us. We have this potential that we need to be responsive to, beloved. Let us love one another. It takes our whole being, um, and we grow in it. For love is from God. And this is going to be a, this is going to be a real simple message, I think. Uh, love is from God. The exhortation is not for you to look down in your own heart and find the love to love other people. You know, you start scraping around in there and you'll hit the bottom real quick, you know, in terms of, I mean, we just, that's never, that's not the call to us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 
an important, uh, an important aspect of that is that the issue is not what I think or feel about somebody. The issue is what God thinks or feels about somebody. That's what we're being called to enter into. And that's why, you know, I, I hope you saw in the passage how central the, the work of the Lord Jesus at the cross was. And that's why, you know, wanted to, those, you know, beautiful devotional hymns with it that, you know, such deep, intense gazing by the, the hymn writer, you know, when I survey the wondrous cross, you know, what wondrous love is this? You know, what language shall I borrow? And that's one of the things that great hymn writers and songwriters do for us. They give us a language to express what's in our hearts better than we can express it ourselves. Isn't that, isn't that true? I mean, when, you know, a song, it just draws, yes, that's what I feel. I could never say it like that, you know. And, you know, it's... Uh, um, but let, let's think briefly or remind ourselves briefly about this this love because it... You know, in our language, it's it's a commonplace observation that our our word has to you know do you know show up in a lot of context with a lot of meanings. But just a couple of things that I wanted to uh, uh, points I wanted to make from uh, at the end of the sermon on or end of chapter five in Matthew, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, familiar passage. Um, Jesus said, "You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies." And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, you know, I mean, Jesus is saying, look, even the morally compromised, the tax collectors, and those of different religions, Gentiles, pagans, whatever the label, they love those who love them. And, and we don't need to quibble about, you know, there's some, in some Christian circles they say, you know, non-Christians, well, they don't really love. There's all this self and this and that. And they're trying to justify themselves with God. Jesus doesn't play that game. They really do love, love their children, love their spouse, love their brothers. I mean, they do. And uh, it's part of the image of God and common grace and the general influence of the Holy Spirit. And we are all very grateful that they do, right? I mean, what, what would the world be? Uh, we see little glimpses of what the world's like when the love of God is lost from human hearts. You know, go to the, the borders of Mexico, go to Syria, go... I mean, there's lots of places you can go and through history where when that's lost, I mean, it is a terrible thing. I'm very grateful that, uh, you know, neighbors and colleagues who don't necessarily know the Lord, but that, you know, they can still manifest, you know, genuine compassion and friendliness and love. But for the believer, what sets the disciple apart is not that we love those who love us, but... How do we respond to those who hate us, those who are our enemies? That's that's really that starts to set apart a believer from an unbeliever. Should set apart a believer from an unbeliever. You know, says God causes his you know sun to rise on the evil and good and send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Or in Luke six, the passage he says, He's God is merciful 
to the wicked and ungrateful. Whew, I mean, that's, you know, ingratitude is something that kind of gets you a little jangled, you know. But said, God is merciful. He's good. It's like, wow, to be like your Father who is in heaven. That that's, starts to really separate out the, the love of God for us. Which again, I mean, what's the cross all about? Um, God demonstrated His own love toward us in this, and that while we were yet sinners, or Christ died for us, and He died for in, in Romans five, and He spe- says specifically He died for His enemies. You know, that we, we were in that crowd shouting, "Crucify Him!" You know that the, um, John thirteen, familiar passage, the new commandment. Um, New commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. I mean, there, that's the thing that's starting to separate out. Um, it's a wonderful thing, a, the love of a, of a mother for the child. I mean, you know, they'll die for the child. And yeah, you say the bad parents, but most parents love their children. Most parents do good to their children. Most parents, um, it, it's, it's in us and we have to make it go away to we have to damage that part of us pretty severely where that that love is lost um, but the new commandment is that we love one another even as he has loved us and he says by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another I mean this is the thing in the world that um, you know uh, in terms of an evangelistic program this is pretty fundamental in terms of what the world understands and world sees. Well, back in 1 John, chapter 3, bring us back to chapter 4, but um, again, this, this love, we want to kind of focus in, you know, what's in the apostle's mind? You know, obviously, um, the words of Christ as he walked with Christ were, were in him and, and manifesting through him here. In uh, 1 John 3.16, We know love by this. Okay? We know love by this. You want to know what love is? Listen, that's what he says. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Little children, he's talking to believers. This is an exhortation again with the cross before our eyes. You know, we know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. Therefore, we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. And that, that issue, He laid down His life. You know, John 10, remember John 10, the good shepherd, no one takes my life. I lay it down that I may take it up again. And that's... that's the characteristic of the love of God, and that's the, that the exhortation is that all of us, are, we're always, you know, day by day confronted that there, there has to be this choice to enter into the love of God. I mean, it doesn't happen automatically. There's, you know, Jesus said, if anyone follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. And when you read in 2 Corinthians where he you know, by where he recounts a little bit about how that plays out, you say, whoa, yeah, he really did. <laughs> I mean, it was like, um, it was not an easy road uh, uh, that, that Paul traveled um, in, for the gospel's sake, for the Lord's sake. You know, love is not something that we think. It's not something that we feel. It can have, the, it certainly has those elements. It's not an idea, but it's more like a power. 
an energy that orients our entire being and guides our actions. Again, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, you know, the love of Christ controls us, compels us, having concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore, all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. There's that cross again. There's that cross again. In terms of this, this whole topic, the cross has to be that orienting vision to make sense of, of what we're doing. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And you think, John, don't you have that kind of backwards? You know, it's kind of, if, if that doesn't perplex you, you need to read it again. I mean, there's something about this that makes you kind of stop and go, wow. Because hmm. we want to say everyone who is born of God loves. And that's, what, that's what we would tend to think. You know, everyone who is born of God loves. No, he says everyone who loves is born of God. Um, this, uh, it, makes, it makes me, and, it, and that's what I said, I've been thinking about this for quite some time now. It makes me step back and wonder if, if this, I hope I'm not, maybe I'm a sacred cow or holy ground or something, but I, I don't know if we understand bo- this born of God quite. There, there may be a, a, another way to understand this. Um, a little, and um, you know, the, a, a strong motif I think many of you would be familiar with out of the Gospel of John is Jesus speaks about the natural. He, he says a word that is heard like it's about the natural world, but it's really there's a spiritual world. So like the born again, you know, he says to Nicodemus, you know, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And it's like, wow, how does a, when a man is old, how does he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Okay, so Jesus is speaking spiritually. Nicodemus is hearing natural. That's in the third chapter, second chapter, you know, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And they say, wow, it took 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it up in three days? No, no, no. This is a whole spiritual thing. Chapter four, you know, um, the woman at the well, uh, you know, if you, would ask, if you knew who it was who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. And she says, oh, sir, the well is deep and you have nothing to draw with. How, you know, all through John, there's this thing where he's speaking and he says a word that sounds like it's unnatural. It's heard in the natural, but it's a spiritual realm. Nicodemus was thinking biology. How do I enter a second time into my mother's womb? And I think, I think that biological overtone carries a little bit in terms of how we think about being born of God. John chapter 1, um, again, a familiar passage, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right, or that word is translated right, or power, or authority, to become the children of God even to those who believe in His name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I've checked lots and lots of translations, and they all say, gave the right to become. There's this there's this more of a sense of process that we enter into. Because for us, in terms of biology, you're born, done, finished. you know, and then. But this is suggesting something that is not, it's a little bit, um, many of us have probably heard, you know, there are different passages talking about being saved. And some say, you know, I am saved, 
I am being saved, I will be saved. You ever heard that? You know, and that's, that's true. The passages talk like that. And I, I would say that probably this is maybe a similar thing. I am born again. I am being born again. I will be born again. I think there's this element of, of a, it's a dynamic thing. And, and in the, I, be, I became a Christian in a Baptist church, and I you know, know Baptist. Uh, we went to a Baptist church for a little while down here. And, and you just you see, um, um, and I went forward to, probably someday I'll mention that in the similar context. You know, and and, uh, and it, was, it was an important thing for me. But, but I know people get caught in that. You know, I'm born, I go forward, I'm born again, and then I fall away. And so was I unborn again? And so you go forward. And I know, I know in some circles they, they've been baptized three or four times. Well, now I'm really saved. You know, this time it's really going to stick. I think that's being, you know, you kind of get caught in the thinking that doesn't really understand the spiritual dynamics. Um, this, so what's, I think what's set, this is how I would understand this right now. And if you understand it differently, I'm, I don't feel dogmatic about this, so you don't need to come up and argue with me because I'll just say, oh, you're probably right. You know? <laughs> but here's a thought about the way to see this. Uh, think about this. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. That there, that that there is this invitation, there's this exhortation for us to enter into the life and love of God. It's, it's before us. It's there. I don't have to look into my own heart to try to gin it up. I mean, there it is. You know, to love is to be born of God. Um, and, and to allow that love of God, as Paul said, the love of Christ controls us. Now, the problem about the love of God is that it will kill me. If I let the love of God into my heart, it will kill me. The old man, the natural man, the old Adam, the self, the ego is going to die. And there's parts of me that are in great recoil about that happening. Um, you know, and John, John makes a couple of other places, like in that passage in, in chapter 3 that we read, Whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need. Now, he's talking to believers. you got to hear it. He's talking to believers and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? Now, don't go and say, well, I got, obviously he's not a believer. That's not what John's saying. He's, he's saying what we all have experienced before. Somebody's in need and, and we just go, I don't want to respond to that. I don't want to deal with that. We close our hearts and you know what? The, in a, there, there's a sense, and I, I can't, you know, human language just kind of breaks down trying to describe spiritual realities. That's why there's it's all these gestures towards trying to explain spiritual things, but everything's inadequate. But it's like, it's it's like I turn my back on the sun, and I'm just caught, I'm left in my own shadow. It's, you know, it's close. How does the love of God abide in? It doesn't abide in when I allow the love of God to abide in me. I see my brother in need and respond to that need. I mean, it's the same thing in chapter 2. You know, if, uh, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Oh, guys, I see this guy's loving the world. He's really not a Christian. No, but what he's telling is that when we turn our hearts towards the Lord, we, in a sense, sort of turn our backs on the love of God. We're not under the influence of the love of God. We've eclipsed the love of God in our, our life and experience. And the exhortation is, don't, don't look that way. Look this way. Look at the Lord Jesus. Look at his cross. Look at who he is. And, 
I mean, because, yes, the love of God will kill me. But it will also find me, deliver me. The power of the resurrection. The, you, know, you know, to live, to enter into union and life with God. The knowledge, experiential knowledge of God. Not just head stuff. You know, it's a, it's a solemn thing, brothers and sisters. It is a solemn thing. Without, if we're not walking in the love of God, you know, you know what this book will do to you if you're not walking in the love of God? It'll make you hard. It'll make you cruel. This book, when we're not walking in the Spirit, this book will puff you up. It'll make you self-righteous. And we know, I mean, maybe not you. I, that's what it does to me. <laughs> okay, I'll just speak. It's like, um, but, but we, we know from history, right? You read church history. If, you know, if you don't think that's true, you ought to read church history. Um, even, you know, the Gospel of John. Here he is, Jesus before Pilate. The Jews said, we have a law, and by this law, this man should die. He's the one that wrote the law, that embodied the law, that lived the law. But their conclusion was, he should die because of this law. It's like, what happened? Well, the love of God. I mean, it was a blindness. There is a blindness that comes into us when we, when we come to this book. You know, the devil can quote this book way better than you and I can. And, uh, but we need this book. I mean, I don't know, this is not a, a statement against the Bible. I mean, we are lost and in darkness without this, but we need the Holy Spirit to, I mean, when the flesh gets a hold of this book, man, bad things happen. I mean, it's like we can justify anything um, from this. And I, I know you know that. Um, the one who does not love does not know God. And we're talking about an experiential knowledge. When we... Remember, love is, it has to do with this laying down, this purposing, this choice. When we, the one that does not love, when I just come to that place and I say, no, I'm not going there. I'm not, I'm not following. And all of a sudden, the knowledge of God in me is, is eclipsed. And just think about your own experience. Um, has there ever been a, uh, say there's a time where you, you get angry. Something provokes you and anger flares up. Not righteous anger, just a good old-fashioned garden variety, fleshy kind of anger. What In that moment, what happened to the knowledge of God? Gone. <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of your conscious experience, it's gone. And you can go through the seven deadly, you know, seven deadly sins, you know, lust, envy, pride. You know, sloth, gluttony, you know, all these, these, these different greed, they are blinding. The one who does, and, and, and they, ex, though, all the seven, you know, those passions exclude an experience of the love of God. Now, when those things grip us, it's like, like the moon goes across the sun and it gets dark. And it's not, it's not that you're not saved and it's not... He's just describing our experience, and it's just—it's a dark place, brothers. This is a dark place when that, to, and to, and some Christians get stuck there. They get hurt, and they're bitter, or whatever, and and uh, and the hurts are real, and and the, the challenges of that—I don't want to minimize that, but it's like it's a dark place to be stuck, and and the exhortation and the invitation is is to uh, um, we're being invited in not to try to you know grit our teeth and, and love somebody, but says. Love is from God. And, and just gaze upon that cross. 
look what I feel and did for you. And know that, that this brother or sister that you're, or, or neighbor or colleague at work or whatever, I want you to feel what I feel for them. I want you to see what I see in them. I want you to imagine what they would be conformed to the image of Christ. Don't get caught in the temporal. Don't get caught in the superficial. See the heavenlies. If I got a hold of this person and, and conform them to the image of the Lord Jesus, what would that person be like? And, uh, and make that your, the vision uh, of, of that person. Um, for God is love. I mean, this is an essence. John Stott, uh, is a commentator, some of you may be familiar with him, he just made the observation in terms of the construction of the Greek. I don't know anything about that. But he says, and he did, he knew something about it, but that the way this is structured in the Greek, it's talking about essence. God is love. I mean, it, it's not just a description. I mean, it has the essence of his being. He says there's four places where that kind of construction is used. God is spirit. God is light. God is love. God is consuming fire. You let the love of God into your soul. It is a, I mean, it is a death experience. And yet, he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. I mean, what, you, what dies is all the things that tends to eclipse and obscure the reality of the living God in our experience. Remember, I'm speaking from, a, I'm seeing this from a distance. I'm not living where I want to be. I'm, I'm looking at this and say, yes, I want God. I need that. I want that so much. Um, and uh, practically speaking, just in a, from a practical sense, look, man, life is complicated. There, there is no, I have no simple, well, in this situation, do this, and in this situation, do that. And you know and I know that that's not, I mean, you look at the life of Christ, and, you know, he's, he's rebuking the Pharisees, and he's touching the lepers, and he's, you know, he's angry at the hardness of hearts, you know. I mean, so to say that love always looks, and beh- I, I don't know what it is. And that's, that's the challenge for us, I think, as believers, is that, there's no, there's no simple formula. I mean, we need a heavenly wisdom. We need something we don't possess. Love is from God. And so it's like I'm confronted with a situation and say, God, I don't have a clue what to do. I don't even know what, you're, I don't know what love looks like here. I really don't. Disciplining your children, cor- giving correction to a colleague at work. I mean, all, you can think of the, all the, the myriad of, of life circumstances. And it's like, I don't have a clue what to do. And... Uh, Set the cross before our eyes and and uh, gaze into that and ask the Lord for wisdom. And that's if you've got enough time to do that. I mean, there's a lot of things that spring up on you. Know, have you ever happened to you? You know, where things just happen and you know you don't say, "Well, I'll be back and we can talk about it in 15 minutes." It's like, no, they, <laughs> you've got to respond like right now. Um, just as brief as that's where your your spiritual disciplines come in, and I. Uh, Debbie and Bo have been reading a book that I, I read, uh, um, The Spirit of the Disciplines. And it's very, a very helpful image. Um, when you see the athlete do the, ma- the fantastic play on the field, the thing you didn't see was the thousands of hours of practice. You know, that, that uh, you know, when you see, you know, the musician uh, at the guitar or the keyboard improvising and just cranking away, you know, I mean, if you've ever played an instrument, even moderately, 
if you start to think about it, you can't do it anymore. I mean, it's just got to, as soon as you start, how does that go? It's like, oh, you know, it's like, um, there's something about the flow. And, and that, that in these, in a sense, off times, when I'm not under pressure, you know, am I dwelling, meditating, contemplating, seeking the Lord's face, seeking to understand the cross and his love, that in those moments where, where I just have to respond, you know, our heart is in the right place. I mean, it, it's just a, a process. And we're all growing and learning. And, you know, if we fail, the, you know, some test, you know, don't, don't stress about it. You'll have a chance to retake that test, you know, <laughs> sooner than you want. You know, it's like, um, so I'll just, I'll, we'll stop there. I just want to make a comment. We're going to have a closing hymn. And